Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. Let's stay standing. Uh, We're going to read this morning. We're focusing in on Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. But but as we're going to do throughout all of the Beatitudes, we're going to read the whole section of the Beatitudes, verses 1 through 12 of chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, I'm kind of stalling here because it gives you time to get your Bible. You need it. You need your Bible, um, whether it's uh, in a digital copy or whether it's a copy. If you don't have one, there's good news. We've got one in the seat in front of you, and this is on page 809 there. So turn with us, um, and let's read this together. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your word. Again, we, we, um, we acknowledge this morning that your word is, is, what, um, is what our hearts and our minds um, ought to be primarily formed by um, and shaped by, but Lord, we also confess that it is so often um, not the thing that we allow um, to shape uh, what, we, what we think and what we do and what we say um, and, and how, we, how we behave even. Uh, so, Lord, help us to come under humbly um, your, your word today. Um, speak to us through it as we know that you will in your name. Amen. You may have a seat. All right, Matthew chapter 5. Um, quick recap. Here's your quick overall recap of the book of Matthew so far. Jesus is a real king um, who rules over a real kingdom. In fact, the most true and genuine king and kingdom that has ever existed. We said that last week. We said that, that all other kingdoms or kings that have ever existed are really just wannabe kings and kingdoms, right? I mean, essentially what we're talking about, that's how real and genuine the kingship and the kingdom of Jesus really is. And so here's what the king says today about life within this kingdom. You ready? Matthew chapter five, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Hold up. What did Jesus just say? That, that happy and satisfied are those who mourn? Like this is what we're signing up for in the kingdom of God? I mean, this is, this is, not, this is not often the way that a, that, a, that a king that we would think is noble would establish some sort of kingdom, that he would say that there is a level of happiness, of satisfaction. As we said last week, a level of, of flourishing, like human life flourishing within the kingdom of God. And he's saying that flourishing and satisfaction and happiness 
is for those who mourn. And he follows it up with a promise. They shall be comforted. And so last week, we established these blessings from Jesus communicate this and the, and, and the reality that we're all seeking this, aren't we? Everybody's seeking happiness, aren't they? Raise your hand if you're seeking happiness. Everyone's seeking happiness. You may just be doing it in a lot of different weird ways, um, but everyone's seeking happiness. And Jesus is making sure that we know what the path to true and lasting happiness is. And so we're, we're, as we're seeking this, Jesus is saying, here's the path to that. And so in light of these blessings from Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 being a a pronouncement from Jesus of our satisfaction, of our happiness, of our flourishing, it's it's probably right for us to feel this tension or to at least to be interested in what Jesus could possibly mean by this, that those who mourn are blessed. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would just say that this particular message resonates with some people in here today. That, that there's some mourning, that there's some, some grieving, there is some, some complexity to your life in some form that leads itself to some sort of grief or mourning. And so here's, here's the deal. Today, we're, we're going to seek to hear and to understand what our Lord Jesus is saying. It's hard, isn't it? I mean, several of you are Bible, like, Bible people, right? I mean, you've been in church your whole life and you've heard this your whole life. Um, and so you're like, well, yeah, like we, we know what it means, but, but like, really, <laughs> what would it look like for us to, to seek out what Jesus is trying to, to say here when he says, blessed are those who mourn? So we're going to seek to hear and understand what, what Jesus is claiming. And, and we're going to say out of the gate, like, I, I, I want to establish this, that we don't really need to go, based on what we believe about the Bible and what we believe about Jesus, we don't need to go any further, like Jesus's word doesn't really need any explanation. Like it's, it's true because he says it. Um, and, and as hard as it may be to accept it and to receive that there is a blessing in our mourning, because I'm telling you, I don't wanna believe that. But I'm gonna tell you, because of what we believe, again, sometimes what we believe and how we feel can be two different things, but what we believe unapologetically is that what Jesus is saying here is 130 billion percent true. It's true. And there is no question about it. Jesus can be trusted. Along with that, his word can be trusted. We're not bringing any question to his, his word today. And so we believe, we can, we can believe that Jesus, um, we can believe Jesus and take him completely at his word because he's worthy of it. He's, he himself is worthy of our trust and worthy of that. And here's why he's worthy. This is a little bit of a, just building out what we're, what, we're, what we're talking about here. He's worthy because he lived a perfect life. He was crucified for sinners, and he raised from the dead. He appeared to hundreds of people after his resurrection, and he ascended into heaven where he sits today interceding for his children, interceding for the children of God. No one and no thing can separate us from that love. Even death, Romans 8 is going to say death, sickness, even those things that can directly contribute to the mourning that we face as human beings, none of those things can separate us from God's love. And so we're just like laying some ground rules here, okay? But we also want to acknowledge, as firm as I sound in all of that, we acknowledge that there are those among us who mourn and who grieve and who may have a hard time believing this. They're like, Okay, like that's, that's all great. 
And so what do we do in response to that? Do we just preach at them harder? Do we guilt them into believing this about Jesus? No, I think as a church, Scripture says this, and if you wanna push back on this, then push back on the word. I believe what we do is we pray for them. And so we're gonna do something kind of crazy. We're gonna pray in church, like in the middle of a sermon. Like, I got things to say. We don't got, we don't got time to pray, do we? We're gonna pray now. There is, I, listen, as, the, as a pastor of this church, I can guarantee you, based on what I know and things that I'm aware of that I don't know, that there is literally someone sitting within feet of you who are mourning and grieving something today, something real, like not just life's hard, but something real and weighty and deep. Grieve some, I'm trying to look around the room and see like, where does this not apply? I don't see any part of this area that does not apply to this that this does not apply to. There is someone literally within inches or feet of you who feels the grief and the weight of the reality of mourning today. And so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. You don't have to like reach your hands out. You can. In fact, I'd, like I'd say we probably should get comfortable with things like that. But you don't have to do that. But I'm gonna say, let's, we're gonna take just a few moments here and we're gonna pray. Would you pray for those directly in your vicinity? Did you know that God is sovereign? that no one even is sitting around you right now that God hasn't placed them directly in your life so that you may pray over them. Acts 17 establishes this. Where you live, where you play, where you work, every place you've ever been put, you've been put there because of the sovereign knowledge of God. And so someone around you needs prayer this morning. And so let's take time and do that. We're gonna pray for those who are stricken with sickness. We're gonna pray for those who have been stricken with the reality of death and the weight of loss. We're gonna pray for those who grieve because they feel the brokenness of this world. So maybe you're like, no, I haven't, no one's died, no one's sick that I know of, but like, I'm just kind of keenly aware today that this world is really broken. And so would you do that as a church? It's not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it, you're gonna do it. We're just gonna pray for just a minute. Lord, your word speaks directly and powerfully and sufficiently to us in our time of need, um, in our time of, our time of grief, um, our, our time of, of, a, of a growing awareness of, the, of the, the brokenness around us. And Lord, I, I just pray that, that, you would, that you would really show us that today. Lord, your word is alive and I think we're going to experience personally the life that is, is contained in your word because we're gonna be shown today by what the Son of God, the King of Kings says about the way that we interact with this, this reality of, of brokenness in the world. We feel that. And so Lord, we pray that you would comfort today. Um, we pray that your spirit um, as, as we'll talk about in just a minute, um, would, would be a comforter to those um, who need comfort. And we pray that your, your church, your people, as your word says, would be a comfort um, to, to those who are hurting around us. We pray that um, your, 
your promises that you give to us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, even death, even sickness, would, would comfort us today um, and that we would, we would sense that in a, in a really powerful and personal way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Let's read verse four again. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So it is my belief here, and I think, I think it should be the belief of all of us, um, that Jesus, what Jesus says here has a very specific intended meaning. Like what he's saying, he, like he knows the context of what he's saying. He knows what he is communicating when he says what he's communicating. And so while that is... So let's get that, let's, let's establish that. While that is my belief, we also encounter the reality that it does not necessarily always seem clear and plain to us from the text what his intended meaning is. And so we know that anytime Jesus speaks, he speaks with intentionality. He never speaks with vagueness. Now, some of the things that he says may be vague to us, but he has a meaning, he is going after something, and, and it, is, it doesn't seem plain from the text exactly what he means. What do I mean by that? Well, in the scriptures as a whole, if we open up the Bible and we read it from cover to cover, we see two common things that evoke mourning in someone or sadness. Um, and, And either one of these are appropriate ways to view what mourning might mean. One of those is just death and sickness, like the natural things of life. Those things cause weeping, they cause lament, they cause sadness, they cause grief, they cause mourning, But something else we need to be aware of is that a common response to sin that we may observe in the scriptures is mourning. And so we think mourning and we think, man, that's just exactly where I'm at. But something that's also very common within the scriptures is that we would mourn or be broken over our sin. And so that's some of the challenge that we have. And so I'll, I'll say we encounter some challenges in coming to a conclusion what Jesus is precisely saying in this text. We, we, we kind of encounter some challenges there. So what those two challenges are is one of those. I know I'm doing a little bit of under, like, underground background stuff here, but two of, the, two of the reasons why this is somewhat challenging is first, what the challenge to some people in is, is the original language, like what Jesus is, the word that Jesus uses here for mourning. Um, and the word that he uses here for mourn is, a, is the Greek word pantheo. And so this pantheo, this word that Jesus is using, pretty much is always used in relation to mourning over death, mourning over the, the, the loss of something that we, that we love. Often when it is used in other places, it is in reference to someone who's died. Okay, so that's one challenge. Here's, here's kind of the, the, uh, the, the challenge on the other side of that. The other challenge is the context of what Jesus is talking about. So if you're just like, well, this word, anytime it's used, always has to do with sadness over death, sadness over sickness. Well, if we're to pull back and look at the context of what Jesus is talking about, it would seem that the context of the broader Sermon on the Mount and the context of the immediate Beatitudes, they may lead us to the conclusion that maybe what Jesus is actually talking about is not primarily a mourning over death, but a mourning over our sin. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna present to you in just a minute, I feel like I'm kind of giving like a, 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 lecture, a lecture here. I'm going to present my hypothesis. I'm gonna present to you my solution um, in just a moment, but I do want us to point out, because of the context here, I want us to point out 
that Jesus is known to use certain language in order to provoke a certain response in, uh, within the people he's teaching. And so let's just, this is really great because he, we, we get it right in verse three. So we're in verse four today. Let's look at verse three. For example, back in verse three, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus does not create a new word for poor in spirit. Rather, he utilizes a word for poor, like we talked about last week. He utilizes this word poor that would have literally meant impoverished. Like when people would have heard it, they thought they would have, it would have been the word that people connected to actual poverty. But Jesus goes on to say, this is not a monetary poverty. This is a poorness of spirit. And so Jesus uses this, this word that people would have come up in their mind and they would think, man, like that's a deep kind of poverty. And he connected it with the promise that those who are poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so I believe that what Jesus may be doing here is something similar with the word mourn where he uses pantheo, where he uses this word. He may be saying to us, this is the kind of gut-wrenching feeling of grief and mourning that we should experience over our sin. That Jesus is using a really a, an explicit word. Jesus is what we call this contextualization. Um, and he may not be doing that explicitly here, but he's using a word in their language that would have communicated something very deep that would have resonated with them. And so the crowd would have heard this word, pantheo, pantheo, and, and, they, and they would have thought, yeah, like I've experienced that. I know that kind of grief. I've lost someone that I love. And, 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 and they're saying, I'm called to feel that kind of way over my sin. I'm supposed to feel this, this weight of grief and sadness over, over my sin against a holy God. Hey, this is the, the thing about Jesus. Jesus can make words mean whatever he wants them to mean. He can use them in whatever way he wants to use them. And so he applies a word that they would have known to what may be primarily a way for us to view our sin against a holy God. And so the meaning of the words, they are really important to help us understand. Would you say words have meaning? Yeah. The meaning of words are really important, but so is the context. So is the, the context. And so the context of the Beatitudes seems to lend itself. There's, by the way, there's a lot of people who, who argue over these things. And so we're not making like a, I'm not the guy that's got this all figured out. If you go and read a lot of people, there's, there's people who kind of fall on both sides. The context of the Beatitudes does seem to lend itself primarily to one particular conclusion. And so what's my solution for us today? You ready? All that set up for this. My solution today is to say it's both. Solution today is to say, let's understand it in both ways. Maybe not Jesus' intended meaning was in both ways, but my solution for today is to admit our own limits. We are limited, right? God is, um, oh, see, I can't even think of the word. So obviously I'm gonna show my, he is omniscient, all-knowing. We are not. By the way, really, a little rabbit trail. Um, there's a pastor named Zach Eswine that says this. Um, you don't have to repent for being omnipotent. You don't have to repent for not being omnipotent, omniscient, um, or omnipresent, but you have to repent for trying to be. And so we're not gonna try to be omniscient here. Some of us need to repent for thinking we know it all. And I'm one of them, by the way. And, and so here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna admit and confess our own limitation. We're gonna confess that we are not masters of this text. We're going to draw out from scripture as a whole 
that the promise to be comforted in our mourning applies both to our grief and to our sin. So you cool with that? Are we common ground? Like, If you're not up for that, now's probably a good time to leave because we got two points, and one was comfort in sin and comfort in repentance, okay? Um, so we're just gonna go after that. And what's important to know is that Jesus never preaches a contradicting message, never. There's no such thing as a contradicting message in Jesus. There's no such thing as a contradicting message in the word. And so we can, we can say both these things are true and they don't contradict one another. So that's my solution. Here's my goal. Here's the two points. The first thing is this. In Christ, we have comfort in our grief and in our sadness. And not only comfort, not only comfort, but we have perfect security in it. We have perfect assurance in it. Church family, Jesus, you, you gotta catch this. Jesus is no security against the storms of life. You catch that? No security against the storms of life, but he is the perfect security in the storms of life. He's no security against them. Again, we're, we're just gonna kind of look at our experience here. We're gonna, we're gonna look at the, the truth of the Bible, but we're also gonna look at our experience that, that we can look at our own experience and say, man, if I'm following a God that promises perfect security against life's storms, what in the world am I doing? Because life is really hard. But what Jesus is saying here, that blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted, is he is saying in the midst of life's storms, I am security in that. I will not let you go. And so in Christ, we have comfort in our grief and in our sadness. I wanna highlight four ways that God fulfills his promise. So here we're gonna kinda, we're gonna look at the scriptures and see how, why we can trust Jesus here. So we're gonna highlight four ways that God fulfills his promise to comfort us in our sadness or in our mourning. And here's what we're gonna do. There's four things. Each of these four things have a text with them. That means I need four people who are gonna be ready to read. And here's the thing that you need to know about that. I will stand here until it's read, okay? And so you need to be ready. Um, we will go, and man, I saw you guys like, okay, well, I, gotta, I gotta find it. We will stay here as long as it takes us to read these. And so you'll, you'll see in just a minute, but as they pop up, I'm gonna just say, hey, somebody read this. The first way that Jesus fulfills his promise to comfort us in our sadness is through his people, through his people. And so what does this look like on the ground? What does it look like to be comforted in our mourning over sadness and over grief? Through his people, Family, if you're wondering what in the world your purpose could possibly be among this body of believers, it is very likely that you exist in part to be a comfort to someone around you, to bring comfort. We all know what this looks like. Um, I love the way that 2 Corinthians opens. Someone read verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 7.
So this promise that Jesus gives that in our morning we will be comforted is not theoretical. There's flesh on it. There's people that God has placed around you to comfort you. There, is, there are people that God has placed around you that you are called to comfort. Isn't God really smart and really good and that he gives us ways in which to be comforted? So that's just the first way. We're, we're, we're likely keenly aware. I mean, one of, the, one of the ways we know that people are who help comfort us, one of the ways that we know this is that we're keenly aware of those moments where the body of Christ has not done this. Man, like there is a whole hashtag movement. There is a, a whole like just movement in this world of those who are walking away from the church. And, and there's a lot of stories that it's connected to, but really if you, if you, if you if, and, and not all, by the way, too, not all of them are legit. So some of them are. And some of them really, like, some of them the church really maybe needs to reckon with. But for those that are, are genuine moments of where people have been hurt by the church, most of them, no matter what the story is, most of them have something to do with, I was let down. I was not comforted by the people of God in my time of need. And kind of just say, like, that's not just like a, that's not just like a 2021 problem. Like, you can go back and read books from the 1970s, the 1980s, before this, you know, the, the deconstruction movement, all those things. You can go back and read books on ministry that talks about, I mean, this talks about it. We don't need any books or commentaries. This says that this is what the church is for and that there are moments where we fail in this. And so we're aware that the people of God are intended to be one of those ways in which we experience this comfort because we're keenly aware of when the church hasn't leaned into, into this. But the people of God also are likely to be one of the most immediate felt ways that you will experience the comfort of God in times of need. It, it just is. And man, may we be quick to confess when we have failed in this. May we be patient with one another, by the way, too. Like, we've, been let, we've let other people down, right? And so the word also tells us to be patient, to bear with one another. That means if I'm let down by not being cared for, that, man, I'm gonna be quick to forgive. Show patience. The second way that we see um, that, that, God, that, that uh, we have comfort in our grief and our, and our sadness is through his word, through his word, through his word, through his word. Through his word? Through his word. There we go. Thanks, Quinn. Everybody just give Quinn a hand, please. Like, he's, he's over there reading the Bible, so I, that's way more important than him clicking the next slide. Um, the next way that we see is through his word. So someone needs to get to that text because it's a little bit longer of a text, and you, and you need to read it. Uh, we're not going to read it yet, but the, the next way that he comforts us is through his word. Hey, I want us as a church to be immovable in our belief and in our actions of the sufficiency and the power of God's word. And there are times in my life, I'll admit, I've questioned it. I have. I've questioned the sufficiency and the authority of God's word. And by the way, that's not always an, an overt, explicit way of questioning it. One of the ways that we question God's word is by disobeying God. That's a more, maybe a more subtle way that we question God's word because God says, hey, in his word, this is the way to live. And if we live another way and we say, this is better for me, 
You realize what we're doing is we're questioning God's word. And so thankfully, God is gracious, amen? I want us as a church to be immovable in our belief and our actions of the sufficiency and the power of God's word, which is why we are committed to preaching it faithfully. That's why we're committed to preaching it faithfully. I'm not saying we'll never do this, and I'm, I'm kind of just being facetious here. Like, we're not preaching a sermon about the Super Bowl today or about Valentine's Day tomorrow. We're preaching the word of God. And, and we're, we wanna do that in a way that is, that is applicable, in a way that communicates well, and we may, we may use tools and, and things to help us to communicate it better. But one of the ways that we're just gonna stay really rooted is we're gonna preach God's word. And at some point, I promise, it's gonna offend you. And, I, and, and just know that like, we're not targeting you, we're just walking through the Bible. And so we wanna be committed to that. Ultimately, how do we know that we can experience satisfaction and comfort in the midst of suffering? Through his word. That's how we know that. Like we didn't just come up with it. That's how we know that. Maybe you're asking, if his word is sufficient, why do I need the church? I've, I, that's, that's actually a really common thing. Like, if, if his word is sufficient, you know, if I'm, like, if, if I'm part of the, the big C church, why do I need part of the little C church? Well, because the sufficient word of God tells us we need the church. It tells us we need to be part of the church, plugged into the body, vitally connected. We need to serve the body. Someone read Psalm 119, 105 through 112. This doesn't only apply to our sadness or to our grief or our mourning, but God's word lights our way. God's word brings light. In God, in Jesus, there's no darkness at all. In his word, there is no darkness at all. In his word, we know how God comforts us. And so it is through this light, this lamp to my feet and light to my path, it's like, man, when I don't know why what's going on, I, I promise you, like, the, the word of God brings clarity. It may not all make sense to our limited minds. Please don't hear me say that. It's just gonna all like, oh, yeah, well, that's, okay, that's why. There's a lot of questions that remain. But God's word brings light. Hey, the next way that Jesus graciously and faithfully fulfills his promise to comfort us in our mourning is... Through his spirit, through his spirit. Romans 8, 26 through 28. Man, we could read all of Romans 8. We just don't have time. Um, in fact, this is where I need the spirit to give me some self-control because we just don't have the time for all of this. Um, the word that Jesus uses in, in I think it's in, uh, in the book of John, um, and, and really throughout, the word that Jesus uses when he promises comfort, actually, this is actually in this text, when he says, for they shall be comforted. The word that he uses is, is, a, is a word called parakaleo. And parakaleo is a word that describes comfort that we experience. Um, it is, in, in its noun form, parakaleo is paraclete. Not pair of cleats or parakeet, but paraclete. 
And that means a comforter, a helper, an, an advocate, a counselor. Paraclete is commonly connected explicitly in the scriptures to the Holy Spirit. It is the ministry of the Spirit. Like the ministry of the Spirit is the parakaleo, the comforting ministry, the counseling, the helping ministry of the Spirit. And so when Jesus promises comfort to us in the midst of our mourning, he is very much promising to us the Holy Spirit. So when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I believe that Jesus has in mind the church. I believe that Jesus has in mind his word. I believe that Jesus has in mind his, his Holy Spirit. And so in John, again, we see explicitly the promise of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus says, hey, I'm, I'm going, but I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send someone to, to help. And he's talking about his Holy Spirit. And, so on. and then Paul, in Romans chapter 8, by the way, in the context of suffering, Romans 8, 26 through 28, Paul proclaims something about the comfort and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Someone read um, 8, 20, it's actually 26 through 38. I'm sorry, I made a typo. 26 through 38, someone read. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted by the Holy Spirit. The, the, the final thing that I wanna point out that Jesus graciously fulfills in this promise to comfort us in our mourning is his promises. I mean, just his, his promises. If you don't feel the presence of his people and you're just having a hard time in his word and you're just having a hard time with the, with the spirit of God, like the promises of Jesus are that death doesn't have the final word. 
sadness and grief has been swallowed up in victory. So we can trust him. And this, here's the thing. The reason why we can trust the promise of Jesus to comfort us in our mourning is because of the resurrection. Like, this isn't only an Easter message, but the, the resurrection changes everything. You know that, right? We can say that besides like the third week of April. We're gonna say it today. The resurrection changes everything. And if Jesus actually conquered death and Jesus is actually alive, then you can take his promise to comfort you to the bank. Anything he says after the resurrection is, like I said before, like he could say like, unicorns are the way to travel. Let's do it. You know, like he resurrected. Like he can say what he wants to say. But he doesn't say that, by the way, not to distract us. If Jesus actually conquered death, then we can take his promise to the bank. And so we gotta move. First Corinthians 15, 50 through 58, we're not gonna take time to read that. I'm sorry if you, if you had already found that. Let me give that to you as a text to go read on your own. But this is a, a promise that we have. In our grieving, we, are, we who are God's children are not without hope. Okay, point number two. In Christ, we not only have comfort in our grief and in our sadness, but in Christ, we have comfort in our repentance. So the other side to this that I think is important to understand that may be Jesus's maybe, maybe firmer point here. So it, again, it seems that the overwhelming majority believe this to be Jesus referring to a mourning over our sin and him declaring that in our repentance, we are not left in despair. Man, we'd much rather just hear about Jesus comforting in our sadness than Jesus comforting us when he's calling us out of our sin, huh? But the good news is, again, he promises us comfort. Don't forget that. Some of, some of this, again, has to do with the context of the passage and viewing the Beatitudes not as a junk drawer of characteristics for the kingdom citizens, but, but really a chain. I wish I, I meant to have a chain up here. The Beatitudes are like a chain, not a, not a junk drawer. Like, I, you know, I'll be poor in spirit, but I won't mourn my sin. No, it's a, it's a chain that like one links to the next and one links to the next. And so in verse three, as we've already kind of established, Jesus employs this word for poor that indicates the lowest form of poverty that can be imagined. Absolutely helpless and unable to help yourself or to pull yourself out. This isn't like, this isn't like you found a few extra coins like in the couch. Like the coins aren't there. You don't even have a couch. Um, this is, that's the kind of poverty that Jesus is talking about. And so he, he uses this. And so Jesus says that the kingdom belongs to those who are this way. Only those who are poor in spirit. No one who is prideful in spirit gets in. Only those who are poor in spirit who recognize their need. And so he says the kingdom belongs to those who are this way spiritually, that when you realize the depth of your sin and the holiness of God and acknowledge that you have no ability to save yourself, it's that kind of person that's a kingdom citizen. And so as a chain, the result of this person, the poor in spirit, who realizes their need will recognize their sin and will mourn over it. A poorness of spirit leads to a brokenness over our sin. The scriptures are filled with examples of sin leading to brokenness and the grief over sin leading to repentance. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10. If you can get there, get there, get there fast. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10 says, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. 
For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul here indicates that there are two kinds of grief over our sin. And he's setting the record straight with which one God is after. Paul is saying that sin almost always results in a response, either godly grief or worldly grief. In short, not to give too much of an example, in short, worldly grief is a grief that is a response over the consequences of my sin. Like I messed up, you know, like, man, I gotta go home and dad's gonna kill me. Like, that, that's, that's maybe what we could understand as a worldly grief. Maybe that you got caught. or Maybe you're, that you're feeling the humiliation of your sin. Godly grief, though, is not so much a grief over the consequences over your sin, but, the, but being broken over being a sinner, the presence of sin. Like, we see this in David. David says, like, David says, like, I was brought forth in iniquity. I'm not guilty of just this one sin with Bathsheba. I'm guilty because I'm a sinner. And so David obviously was humiliated, but it seems that by the time we get to Psalm 51, he is broken over the, the fact that he is a sinner and he has sinned against God. This grief is not motivated by humiliation and the consequences, but a grief birthed from a heart that realizes you've sinned against a holy God and that the Holy Spirit has been grieved in this. A worldly grief, what, what I think that Paul's saying here, a worldly grief over our sin is a grief that spirals us into despair. Like there's just no way out of that. That's a worldly grief. It leads to death. Let's come back to our verse for today. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. A godly grief is a grief that results in coming on our face before the Lord. It leads to repentance and leads to life, or as Jesus says, it leads to being comforted. It is not sin that leaves us in our despair. It is sin that leads to comfort. Isn't that amazing? What Jesus is saying is that the highest level of satisfaction, the highest level of happiness, the highest level of flourishing that you can experience in your life will come when you mourn your sin and experience the comfort of a merciful and gracious God. That's the highest experience of human flourishing right there. If you're, if you're in sin and you're just kind of hanging out around it, your life is not flourishing in a lot of different ways, but primarily in your walk with Jesus. And so we've got to ask ourselves, the natural question is, what does this kind of grief look like? What does it mean to mourn over my sin? Okay, like I hear you saying this. What does it look like to mourn over our sin? We'll go back to chapter five, verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There are around 10 Greek words that are used within the New Testament at any given time for the word mourn. As I said earlier, the word that Jesus employs here is pantheo. Pantheo is a word that that means the deepest, most sincere, most real experience of grief that a person can experience. This is, this is heavy. I don't, I, I'm, I'm truly not aware, at least, I know that, that several have experienced miscarriage. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not aware of, of anyone in here, and forgive me if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm missing it, but I'm not aware of someone in here who has lost a child to death. I mean, I can't even begin to fathom this. And, and, you, and you've, you've probably at least been around someone who has lost a child who, I mean, they make, they, that person grieving makes noises that, that, you'll ne- that you'll never be able to get out of your head. 
the moanings and the groanings and the depth of their grief is just too much to bear. And what Jesus is saying here is that it's that kind of mourning that we are to experience when we come into the reality of our sin. It is that kind of experience that we should have. And so remember, the word for poor is the deepest, most extreme form of poverty. And this word is the same tone in reference to our grief and our mourning. And often it is used when describing the response of losing someone to death. And so Jesus is saying that when your sin produces this kind of response within you, that you need not despair. Rather, you will be comforted. You will experience a level of comfort. What happens in most of us, church family, and this is me, like this is something that, that I, like I'm confessing. What happens in most of us is that, is that we want to go from sin to forgiveness. Man, being forgiven is wonderful, isn't it? We wanna go from sin to forgiveness. Jesus is saying and always says that forgiveness isn't there, if forgiveness is there and forgiveness is ready, but don't skip this crucial part of following Jesus and that's repentance. We want forgiveness without repentance. We wanna be delivered without the weight. And Jesus is saying, you can't be. You, you can't enjoy this comfort without feel. I mean, this is literally the language that Jesus is using. The level of mourning, the level of groaning, the level of, 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 of sadness that we feel over our sin. This is what leads us to comfort. And so listen, there's not like an easy formula, one, two, three step here. I, I swore to you at the beginning of this whole series that, that I would not attempt to be the Holy Spirit in your life. So if, you, if, you, if you're feeling conviction, man, I pray that it's from the Spirit of God and not from me because I, I have felt conviction over this. There's a lot of ways that we can manipulate a response in you here. There's a lot of things that I could, you know, like I shared a few weeks ago, unfortunately, I, I, too many pastor friends of mine took, has, have taken just all of the crazy social civil unrest to say from the pulpit, like, repent of this, repent of this, repent of this. And maybe there's some of that's necessary, but man, my job is not to be the spirit of God in your life and to, and to, and to take advantage of, of, of things that are going on in our culture, but to preach what God's word says. And so there's a lot of ways that we could manipulate this. And that very likely would have the effect that Paul talks about, a worldly grief. If I was trying to be the Holy Spirit, that's how you know you're experiencing a worldly grief and not a godly grief. But what can you do? Here's what you can do. You wanna know, know the magic pill to this? You can, you can fix your eyes on Jesus. That you, you wanna know how in the world do I feel this level of brokenness over my sin? You can fix your eyes on Jesus. You can look to the cross and you can see what Jesus accomplished there. What it was that put him there, your sin, and what it was that kept him there, his love, his love. And as you gaze at Jesus and look to his cross, you will be hit with the reality of the depth of your, you cannot look at your sin and, and think, my sin must not be that big of a deal. We look at the cross and we see my sin was a big deal. But we will also, you won't only see the depth of your sin, a godly grief will produce not only reality of the depth of your sin, but the reality of the depth of comfort that you can experience the sacrifice of Jesus, what Jesus has done and what Jesus has accomplished. Worldly grief is a result of viewing your sins 
through the lens of what it costs you. Godly grief is a result of viewing your sins through the lens of what it cost Jesus. That's how you come into contact with this kind of brokenness of this mourning that Jesus is calling. And so I don't know. Hey, some of you are Christians in here and you're kind of wondering like, what, is, what does repentance look like in my life? Well, let's just, start, let's just start simple. Like, is there a sin in your life that you just like, it just keeps coming back? You know, a, a, almost exactly one year ago, I, have, I had a friend who was unfaithful in his marriage. And he, and, and I, I'll tell you what, very quickly, a worldly grief fell over him, as it, as it should. I mean, you, you just got caught. But what we began to pray with our friend and pray for our friend is that he would experience just like a true repentance. Because, man, I can be humiliated over my sin without being broken over it, without realizing that, man, I have sinned against a, a holy God. And this worldly grief is something that happens when we view our sin through the lens of what it costed me, my pride, my my, my job, my things. But a godly grief, what Jesus is promising comfort in is that when you view your sin through the lens of what it cost Jesus, and that is where we have to be. And the good news is, don't let us forget that in that moment, Jesus promises us comfort. That's why we preached a sermon, last, a sermon series last summer called Repentance and Hope. Because true and genuine repentance is always followed up with a promise to be forgiven. True repentance, like you don't have to wonder if your request, your confession to the Lord, your repentance for the Lord, how that's going to be received. He promises that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in our deepest moments of, of sin and, and darkness and our deepest moments of need, you have stepped in in an intervening way that you have taken our sin and put it on you, yourself, Jesus, and that Jesus has taken his righteousness and placed it on us. This is a, a miraculous in a mind-blowing exchange. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live into that, that we would, that we would live as people who would, who would be ready to be broken. Over. Lord, would you just help our prayer today be, Lord, show me? This is how Paul instructs us in 1 Corinthians when he's talking about the Lord's Supper, that we would examine ourselves. Lord, an examination teaches us that, that we may not know the findings that we just need to come before you and ask you, Lord, is there anything in me that I need to bring before you? And in that moment, we are met with a promise that you will cleanse us, that you will forgive us, that you will extend grace and mercy towards us. That those who mourn over someone they have lost and those who have mourned over the, the, the depth and the reality of their sin, we will be comforted. So Lord, help us as we come to the table now, Lord, we come empty-handed and we walk away being reminded of, of, the, of the price that you paid for us as you gave your body and shed your blood for us. Thank you, Jesus, for doing this. By your spirit, we ask for help to believe and for the strength that we need to follow you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.